The other thing I just want to do, we want to pray for Delaney. Uh, she's going to be moving to uh, live with her grandmother, is that right, grandparents? And, uh, and so we just want her to stand. I'm going to pray for her. If you know Delaney or, or the Muros, uh, you can gather around them. You can make your way over there, and we just want to pray over her life. Father, we just thank you for this time that we've had to be a part of Delaney's life. And, and we know, God, that, that, uh, that, that your word gives us some incredible promises about decisions in our life, and that when we make a decision that's born out of the prompting of your will, that there's a place of blessing and favor that we live in. And so we just pray that for Delaney, that as she makes this move, God, as she's heard from you, uh, that she's going to walk in your blessing and that she's going to walk in your favor. I pray, Father, that, that this change for her, it's gonna, she's going to feel like she's living under an open heaven. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. Amen. Come on, it's good. Hey, I'm going to do a couple of... Uh, couple of giveaways, if I can do that, I'm going to do a Starbucks card to Kelby and Paige. Am I getting these names right? They're new to the church, so got to know them a little bit tonight, so it's good having you here. Yeah. And then I've got iTunes gift cards because we've got all RC teenagers on the second row of the media center tonight with Catherine and Derek. Come on. So a card for each of you back there. How's that? How cool is that? And we got teenagers running lights, running media. We, we talk about this is part of who we are as a church is that the, that the next generation needs to own it before it's time for them to take it. And uh, somebody should write that down because that sounded really good. Really good. I expect to see that on Twitter or something, right? Okay. All right. Hey, Greg, if you could turn me down just a hair because I intend to get a little louder as we move on. So, all right. So we're starting a new series. We've been talking about this, right, for months on, uh, on the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit through the entire summer, uh, all the way through August. This is going to be an amazing series for us. And so I just, I just want to read a little something out of a favorite book of mine that I got out of a class that I took years ago uh, called Bible Doctrines, a Pentecostal Perspective. It says, a great mystery is before us here. For since there is only one God, only one trinity or triunity, we have no adequate analogies or comparisons to aid us in understanding the trinity of the Godhead, the divine being that exists in a unity of three distinct divine persons. Difficult as it may be to comprehend the truth, it is a vital and urgent doctrine. Church history contains the tragic tales of groups that failed to do justice to the concept of the Trinity. The daily Jewish family prayer taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 emphasizes this great truth of the unity of God. This is what it is out of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Alongside this important truth is the concept of personality in God. Personality involves knowledge or intelligence. It involves feeling and affection, and it involves a will. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit each show these characteristics in their own personal way. The Holy Spirit, for example, does things that show he is not a mere power or a thing. And then it lists several verses, and we're going to be talking about many of these verses in our series. Personality also demands fellowship. But before the creation of the universe, where was the possibility of fellowship? The answer lies in the complex arrangement within the Godhead. The unity of the Godhead does not preclude 
compound personalities. There are three distinct personalities, each holy deity, yet so harmoniously interrelated that they are one essence. That's a great line, isn't it? This is quite different from saying that there are three gods, which is the accusation of many false religions against Christianity. And so a huge part of this summer series is we're going to be talking about who the Holy Spirit is. We're going to talk about some of these texts, why we believe that the Holy Spirit has a personality, that He has a will, that He's distinct from God the Father and God the Son. We're going to talk about some texts that we feel are important to understand, like John 16. We're going to talk about Acts chapter 2. We're going to talk about gifts of the Spirit. We're going to talk about Holy Spirit baptism. We're going to talk about spiritual language. It's one of my all-time favorite things to teach on is spiritual language. It's going to be an amazing series for us. Is we're going to take the whole summer and ask this question, who is the Holy Spirit? But part of this series, which we're going to do tonight, is not just for you to learn about the Holy Spirit. It's for you to encounter Him. It's for you to experience his presence. It's for you to, to, to have a sense of, of knowing his voice and, 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 and his prompting and his leading, just like tonight, right? During the worship set, Chip feels like the Holy Spirit is leading him. Say, Chip, I've got something that I want you to share. So he comes and tells me, and I know who Chip is, and I trust him. And so we, 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 are, right? we have all this, like baseball. we got all these signals and stuff, and so we're, we're, we're uh, uh, signaling Chris. So he brings it to a pause, and we come up, and Chip shares. And then how about the last song that we sang? It was as though we had planned that. Chip didn't know the next song that was going to be sung. Chris didn't know the word that he was going to share. And it was as though it was all tailored fit together after six months of planning. That, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit doing what he does in the room. And I know you felt it. And some of you who raised your hand, you felt something of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, giving you hope and faith for the fulfillment of a promise. I loved how that worship set played out for us because it set a great tone for the whole entire rest of this series. There's going to be time at the end where we're going to come back and do a song, maybe two. There's going to be times for you to come to the altar, and if you want to be anointed with oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, there's going to be couples that are posted in the back corners if you want to pray for something specifically, and they're going to be there. They're They'll be able to anoint you as well. And so it was funny because my little vial that I keep with me, you know, is I bring to church was almost empty and because uh, I've been doing a lot of anointing recently and praying for people. And so I told Vanessa, I said, I'm, I'm almost out of oil. Can you, when you go to the grocery store, can you, can you pick up some, some olive oil? And she said, why, why don't you use like, like canola oil or coconut or vegetable? It's a, it's a lot lighter on the skin. And I looked at her and <laughs> And I just kind of stared at her. I didn't say anything. She went, oh, yeah, I, I guess they use olive oil in the Bible. It's probably more important that we use that, isn't it? Right? It's like, she's, I was like, you grew up in the Pentecostal church your whole life, right? Your grandparents are rolling over in their grave right now. So we had, we had, a, we had a good laugh. I was like, I am totally telling that story tonight. And she's like, yeah, I know that you are. So, so we've got some... Uh, some, uh, some olive oil, and, uh, and you know, at the end of the day, we know it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to God, but I, there, there is something to be said for certain traditions, and there are certain traditions that we want to celebrate as a church, and, and, uh, and, and from the beginning of time, since God revealed himself to the world through Abraham, people have been anointing people with olive oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and, and we're going we're gonna to go through some oil we're going to go through we're, We all might have a little bit of acne on our forehead when we get into September, even later in life. I'm almost 50, and people, aren't you a little too old for that? Yeah, series on the Holy Spirit, right here, right here. So 
All right, so let's do a little. We like participation here at, at City Life. When, when you hear me say the word Holy Spirit, what are, some, what are some, some words that come to mind for you? You raise your hand, I'll just point to you, and then you can share it. But when you hear the word Holy Spirit, Stephanie. Power. Power, yes. Come on, somebody else. Chrissy. Mystery. Mystery. Oh, you guys are doing good. Stephanie, over there on the far side. Indwelling. Indwelling. Nice. Come on, somebody else. Chris. Guide. Guide. Amy. Friend, Steve. Conviction. Conviction. Ouch. That's a good one. Marvin. Presence. Presence. Yes, ma'am. Grace. Yes. Conscience. Conscience. Somebody else have their hand up over here? Over there on the far side. Divine. Divine. Nice. Carrie. Comforter. You guys are doing good. Yeah. You might not need this whole series after all for the whole summer, right? That's really good. Somebody else. Anybody else in the back? Is that Claudia back there? Sealed, yeah, to, oh, come on, to seal the work of God in your life. Wind. Does somebody else have their hand up? Alice? Peace. Nice. Fire, Jenna says, whispering <laughs> to her friends. Do share, come on. Don't be passing notes like it's high school. Tell the whole world. Fire. Yes, that's the danger of sitting in this section right here, right? The pastor can hear me and see me. So, hey, so let me, let me share with you our verse that's kind of kicking us off. All right. Is there a media person back there? All right, while well, Jordan's going back there to set that up for me. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. All right, there we go. Thank you, Jordan. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, I, So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, which means to deny his divinity, but to also it means it, it, it denies who he is and his purpose, that he was the son of the living God. He came to die for the sins of the world. That's what it means here in the context, to curse Jesus. It means to, he was just somebody else like the rest of us. And, and this is the part that really is we're launching from for this summer here at the Newport News campus. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And I think that means two things. I think it means that unless the person that is doing the talking, the person that's doing the sharing, the person that's talking to someone about Jesus, unless they're moving under the anointing and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and then also the person that's listening, unless the Holy Spirit is at work in their life, both of those things need to be happening for there to be a revelation that we cannot of our natural mind conceive of who Christ is. We can do it intellectually, but not to the place where there is a transformation, where there is a, a rebirth. Now, this series kind of flows right out of where we wrapped up in our super series because we spent some time talking about overstriving, and we talked about this idea of a birthright and a blessing. You and I, as devoted followers of Christ, have been given a birthright and a blessing. We begin a birthright in the sense that we have a responsibility. There's a responsibility that we have to tell the world about Jesus. And part of the birthright was a financial provision, and we're going to show you that in just a minute, that there is a promise from God that as you give your life to the work of telling the world about Jesus, that he's going to provide for you to make that possible. It's one of the things we believe as a church in launching these campuses. We don't have all the resources that we need to do it, but we believe that God's going to provide those resources by 
God doing miracles in all of our homes financially so that those resources can come forth. It's part of the provision of the birthright when we're walking in the responsibility. Then there's also a blessing that came as we talked about that, that there's a a prophecy that's spoken over that eldest child that speaks of what they're going to do, and part of the blessing is invoking the power of God to be at work in their life so that they can fulfill their purpose. You and I, as devoted followers of Christ, we have a birthright and a blessing. We have a responsibility to tell the world about Jesus, and we can trust that God's going to empower us to do it. You and I, when we make a decision for Christ, we've been adopted into the family of God. John chapter 1, verse 10. He, speaking of Jesus, came in to the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But listen to this. But to all who received him and believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or a human plan, but a birth that comes from God. When we make a vow of devotion to Christ, we become part of the family. And it is as though in all of those moments, we become the eldest child because all of us are given this commission, this responsibility, this work to tell the world about Jesus. Where does that come from? It comes from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If you're a note taker, I'm not going to read that one, but you can write that down and see for yourself. It's what we know as the Great Commission. All of us have been given this charge to go out and tell the world about Jesus. And when we do that, we're walking in the responsibility of our birthright. Now, we're given a promise of a provision that God's going to make a way. So let me read this to you. Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 9. And so I tell you, this is Jesus talking, and so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. This is a powerful prayer for us with our 2020 vision, with the launch of the Southside Campus, and with Praxis 9, our internship program. There's a, a new station that we're setting up out there. You'll see it just to the right of the Welcome Center to keep people posted where we are. All of us as church, I hope that you are too, not just if you're a leader in the church. We're praying, right? Because this is what the Bible says. You keep on asking. And so every week we're praying that God's going to provide. There is a provision that is promised when we're walking in the responsibility that's given to us through our birthright. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if you ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not, Jesus says. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will you heavenly father, and I love how it shifts here from material to spiritual, right? Because part of the promise then, the provision that we're given in this life is not just a material promise, but a spiritual promise. He says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, which takes us to Acts 1-8, where Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We, we have an adoption when we make a vow of devotion to Christ, and in that adoption, there is a commission that's given to us, a responsibility to tell the world about Jesus. There is a promise of a provision financially, but also of a promise of provision supernaturally that we come to there in Acts 1-8, this idea of an invocation, that we can invoke the power of God. We, right when there, there are days, I don't remember 
to do it every day, but I, I think I'm going to remember a little bit more in this series. I want to wake up every day and say, God, I just I invoke your power to be at work in my life today so that I can walk in the power of your spirit to fulfill the responsibility that you've given to me to talk to whoever I'm supposed to talk to today about Jesus. Right? There's an invocation, an invoking of his power at work in our lives. This is what this series is about. We want you to learn. We want you to understand. We want you to discover all the things that the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit. But by the time we get to September, we don't just want you to know more. We want you to be able to accomplish more because there's a sense of a supernatural equipping that's happening inside of you. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about some creeds. We're going to talk a little bit about history. Not too much, because I know my appetite for history might be more than your appetite for history. So I, I just, a little, a little bit of history. A little, a little bit of history. Now I want to share for you what I believe is a creed for our church. I'm going to talk a little bit about why creeds are important. And then we're going to have some time at the end when we can be at the altar and there can be a moment of invocation. I'm going to, and then you're going to see, you might be saying, Fred, I, this slide seems like it should be a part of another series because it doesn't seem to be connected to anything that you just said, trust me, I'm going to pull it all together. And if not, you can complain later. All right. All right. All right so the Apostles' Creed. Anybody grow up in a liturgical church like I did? I grew up in the Episcopal Church. All right. I know. So some of you are going to feel like you went to church tonight because we read the Apostles' Creed, right? So I, thinking back to my journeys in the Episcopal Church, it's one of the things I loved about the Episcopal Church is learning all of these different creeds. Creeds matter. Because what you believe dictates how you live. And if you're not believing the right things, you're not living the right way. And so especially at the inception of the church, when Christianity was in its infancy, these creeds were vital. These creeds were important because it was a laying of foundation that now some 2,000 years later, that we're still on the right track because people that came before for us, put emphasis on these things that we're supposed to believe. So we're going to read this together, and I'm going to know who all the liturgical people are because you're going to have the right cadence. You with me? All right, all right. So, all right, so we're going we're gonna to read it together. You ready? All right, go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. We can just go home right now, right? Just kidding. Just kidding. This creed right here, as short as it is, almost all of what we believe in Christianity is just packed right in there. The word Catholic here, just in case it's making you nervous that I'm trying to convert you to Catholicism, it means universal. It means universal. It means we believe in the universal, the universal church. So let me just talk a little bit, a little history about why that creed was written. There was a reason it was written. Something was happening early on, and it was called Gnosticism. Now, this creed was written sometime during the first or second century, first or second century, in an effort to combat the false doctrine of Gnosticism. Gnosticism denied that Jesus was fully man. Gnostics did not believe that Jesus had a material body. 
They believed everything about this material world was evil and that, we only, that, that only a select few of people, the spiritual elite, would be saved through the revelation of higher knowledge. So now watch this as you break it down. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. This is in there because they did not believe that God made the earth because they did not believe that God would make anything evil because they believed that everything that material, was material that was evil. The second part, and then Jesus Christ is only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. They did not believe that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. They believed that he was fully God, but they believed he had a spiritual body. They did not believe that Jesus walked on this earth as a, with a material body. And so this next line is to combat that false belief. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. There were many mythologies that existed in Jesus' day of people that had died and been risen from the dead, but they could not connect it to anything in history. Even so much of Greek mythology is this idea that things that happened long ago. And so they tried to make some historical tethers, meaning that Jesus lived when Pontius Pilate, who's a historical figure, was on the earth. He was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell the third day. He rose from the dead. All of those statements are in there to say he had a physical he had a physical body. Now, I'm going to talk to you about why that's important. So I'm not going to read everything that's on the left, but on the right, this next section, it's further emphasizing Jesus' Jesus's deity in the sense that the divine and the human came together as one. They believed in a spiritual elite who were reserved for the most coveted revelation. So this idea of the communion of the saints is this idea that we're all on the same playing field. They believed in a hierarchy. We don't believe in a hierarchy, right? There's different people that have different callings. There might be some authority that goes just so that you can fulfill your responsibility, but we're all equal here at the City Life Church on the same playing field. We believe in the communion of saints, right? So the forgiveness of sins. They didn't believe that you needed forgiveness because knowledge would save you. And then here, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting again, it was them hammering home this idea that everything material is not, in fact, evil. This was important because if you do not believe in the humanity of Jesus, then you will fall under the trap that the devil will whisper in your ear that he does not understand your situation. See, if you don't believe in the humanity of Christ, you might believe in the divinity of Christ, but you will say in moments under temptation, if Jesus understood what it was like to be me, he wouldn't expect that of me. If he knew what it was like to walk on this earth, he would not command that of me. If he only knew what it was like, then he would have never said those things. You see, what we believe begins to determine how we live. Our beliefs, they direct our actions. Gnosticism was a terrible belief that was putting, that the devil was motivating to be released into the world because the devil knew that if I can get Christianity to give up on the idea of the humanity of Jesus, that over time, people will have a false sense of permission to say, I don't have to obey him, even though I believe he's divine. I don't have to obey him because he said those things from a, a perspective of not knowing and not understanding. Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way. In every way. It says he was tempted. There's no time in our life where we can say to Jesus, you don't understand. In fact, Jesus comes to us and says, no, you're the one that doesn't understand, and that's why you need me in your life. All right? All right. So let's do the, the Nicene Creed, all right? I didn't wear you out on history. You, you see how that's connecting? All right. I know some of you are not nodding, so I haven't won you over yet. All right, I'm going to try. 
All right, so we're going to just do this one together right out of the gate. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all that is seen and unseen. So here you see this creed's laying a foundation that the spiritual and the natural are not exclusive of one another. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Jesus was not created, but always existed with God the Father and did not have a physical form until supernaturally being born or begotten through Mary. All these are the important underlying beliefs of this creed. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man, further emphasizing the preexistence of Christ and his physical presence here supernaturally. We talk about the preexistence of Christ often here at church. It's what sets Jesus apart from every other spiritual leader, that he was in heaven. Every other spiritual leader, every other prophet, every other person that's given birth to some religion in the world, what we would say is a false religion if it's not based on Christianity, all of them started just like you and I started. And I like to joke, if I'm going to trust someone to tell me how to get to heaven, I want to trust someone who came from there because they know how to go back. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. All right, I did that one already. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered at death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Speaking to Jesus is returning to his former glory and sharing in God the Father's divinity. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. Here we see not only a pronouncement of the deity of Christ, but also the deity of the Holy Spirit as well. Now, this is the last part. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, which means we believe in a church that is universal, that they should all be believing the same basic things, and this idea that they are supposed to be apostolic means that they should be propagating, that they should be multiplying, that there should be more churches that born out of these churches that exist today, and we believe that same thing. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Jesus is coming from Jesus coming from heaven to earth. It is an important part of our hope of going from earth to heaven. All right, now why did this creed get started? This creed got started because of something called Arianism. Arianism. Now listen to this. This creed was written in the early 300s, which is around the 4th century, in an effort to combat Arianism, which is the false teaching by an elder from the church of Alexandria by the name of Arius. He denied the deity of Christ. So Gnosticism denied the humanity of Christ. Arianism denied the deity of Christ, right? So Gnosticism failed. The devil was unsuccessful, so he comes at it from the other side, right? Because he's persevering. He doesn't give up easily. We need to understand that about the devil, right? Peter writes that he's like a roaming lion seeking who he may devour. So now he's given birth to something that denies the deity of Jesus. They agreed that Jesus was created by God but was not himself divine. The Nicene Creed is so named because it was adopted at the Council of Bishops in Nicaea in 325 
These false teachings are actually the, modern, the, the roots of the modern-day movement of Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses trace their beginnings back to Arius because the Jehovah's Witness movement does not believe in the deity of Christ. They don't believe that he was divine. They will, will acknowledge that he's God's son, that he had a physical body, but they don't believe in the divinity of Jesus. Now, why is that important? Because if you don't believe in the divinity of Jesus, then you do not believe that he has the right to tell you what to do. If you don't believe that Jesus is divine, then, then, then you will reject this idea that you're supposed to be in a permission-giving relationship with him. You see the genius of God here? The Savior that he sends into the world is part of who he is, his son. He was both fully man and fully God. How do you explain that? I can't because I'm a human being. And we're never going to fully understand it. There's some things that we have to live with as a mystery in this life. Somebody shared that. We were talking about the Holy Spirit. They said mystery. Even in this series, there's things where we're just going to say, it's going to remain a mystery because we're talking about things that are heavenly in earth. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 at the end, one day we will know as much as we are fully known. To the degree that God knows us today, one day we're going to know all of those mysteries when we get to heaven. If I don't believe that he's fully human and both fully divine, then I always have an out when I want to do what I want to do. I'll either say, Jesus would tell me not to do that if he knew what it was like to be a human being, or Jesus was just a person just like me. He doesn't have the right to tell me what to do. But when I believe in his humanity and his divinity, then I know that I have someone with whom I am in a permission-giving relationship who's governing my life, who always has my best interest at heart because he walked in my shoes just like I did. I have the perfect Savior. You have the perfect Savior because he, everything that he says is what's best for us, and he understands. There can be both command and compassion that comes from him to me every time. All right, so let's a little talk, talk a little bit about a, a creed that we're going to adopt together. You ready? See, just a little history, right? Okay, all right, just a, all right, just a, little, just a little history. Right, so let's talk about our creed. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. A lot of talk about cursing tonight, isn't it? Now, what does that mean in this text? The, the context of this where, Paul, this is right at the end of the, uh, of the, the, the 16th chapter is the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, and I think there's maybe two, maybe three more verses, but he, this is him wrapping up this letter. If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. What Paul's saying here is that if, if you reject Christ and the authority that he, that he deserves to have in your life because he's divine, because he's human, if, if you reject that, you're going to live a cursed life, which means that you will remove yourself from the favor of God that's promised to you when you're properly positioned in a relationship with God that's only possible through Christ. The book of Hebrews talks about Jesus being our, our mediator. He, 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 you know, Paul talks in Romans about how we're able to be reconciled to God because of Christ. If we reject Christ, we can't be in right relationship with God. And if I can't be in right relationship with God, then I can't know his favor and the, and the power of God will not be working on my behalf. You see this with Saul. Saul's a great example of many of our lives. Saul starts out as a person whose heart was given to God, but at some point he rejects God's authority over his life and then all of a sudden you see him living outside of the umbrella of God's authority and he was living a life that was uphill from then on because he no longer had the power of God working on his behalf. Now there's another side to cursing. 
There's another side that's serious. If I'm not in right relationship with God because I've rejected who Christ is, then not only do I not have the power of God working on my behalf, I'm also vulnerable to the evil powers that work in this world. The devil is real. He's a real being. He's trying to derail my destiny. He's trying to derail your destiny. He knows that he's lost his battle when Jesus took from him the keys of sin and death. That's another sermon for another time, but he's not going down without a fight. He wants to take as many of us as he can with him. And so if, if I've rejected Christ, this idea of being cursed means that not only do I not have the power of God working on my behalf, I'm also vulnerable to the influence of the enemy in my life. I cannot think of a better definition of being cursed than that. I do not have the Father's grace and power at work for me, and I'm vulnerable to the work of the enemy in my life. That's the perfect definition of being cursed. Being favored and being blessed means that I'm in right relationship with God because I've made a vow of devotion to Christ. And so the, the book of Proverbs says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. When, when I'm rightly positioned in my relationship with God because of who I've acknowledged Jesus is and I've made a vow to him, then I have the favor of God at work in my life and I'm also safe from anything the enemy, right? He cannot get in unless I invite him there and I'm not gonna do that. And hopefully part of this series, you're going to find a new, a renewed strength of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to resist temptation. All right, now, now you might say, well, Fred, well, how, does, how can you connect that into this idea of a creed? Because right here, right here, our Lord come in the Greek is a, is a popular world if you've been around the church for any amount of time or if you were a part of Christian music back in the day, Right? Petra, we were joking around right back here before we prayed, we were talking about all these artists from back in the day, right? Striper and Phil Keggy, right? You guys didn't know we were going there tonight. Nate was throwing around, he knew a lot of those names, right? And so, and so here's this word, it, it's Maranatha, right? Because there was Maranatha music, right? There was all, they released all these cassette tapes. You don't know what that is if you're under a certain age, but that's what we had. We, we had, a, we had, a, we had a, a vinyl case that we kept in our car. And we would open that bad boy up and all of our cassettes were just in there. And, and the more you were into music, right, the more of those you would have. Or you would have the jumbo size, right, the jumbo size that maybe you could get at JCPenney in their mail order catalog. But you might not know anything about that either. All right. So, so Maranatha, that's where that word comes from. It comes from right here. It comes from right here. Now, there's all kinds of debate about what this word means. We love to talk about language here at church because language, the 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 language of the Bible is specific to instruct us. Now, this is an interesting word because depending on where you put the middle consonant of A totally changes the meaning because this word is a combination, as most language is, between two different words, right? So if you approach and you take that word in the Greek, Paul did not put a hyphen there. He just wrote it out, and I think that was intentional by the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to explain that in just a minute. If you break it out the first way, it means our Lord comes. It means Jesus is coming back. It, it means that, right, when Jesus said, I go to, John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, right? He says, I'm coming back so that you can be with me where I am. As you read throughout the whole New Testament, there was this incredible expectation that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I think some of us, we've lost that expectation. I hope that we regain that this summer. Now, he might not come back in our lifetime, but can we live with the expectancy he could come back tomorrow? Come he, he's coming. Our Lord comes. Maranatha. He just throws this word out there. But if you move that consonant to the right, it does not say our Lord comes. It says our Lord has come. It means he came. 
He was the son of the living God, the savior of the world. He died for our sins. You see how it changes based on, I think, when Paul wrote this word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God knew that this one word would encapsulate the creed that Christians are supposed to walk in. That we would say to the world, Jesus has come and he's coming again. That God created a word. He created a word that means two things because as Christians, we believe both, and both are equally important. It is a creed for us because this is our birthright, right here. It's not any more complicated than this. When we make a vow of devotion to Christ and we are born into God's family, that there is a commission that is given to us to Maranatha, the whole world. To say to everyone as the Holy Spirit would lead and empower us, both spiritually and material, if need be. If you've ever been on a missions trip and you had to raise money, you've experienced this idea of God's provision being both material and spiritual. There were people that you went to those countries and got to talk to people about Jesus. You were walking in your Maranatha mandate, this creed of Maranatha that Jesus has come and he is coming again. You and I will never be able to take that message to the world in the way that God intended without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. When Paul stood up in Acts chapter 2 and gave the first sermon of the church, the very first recorded message, over 3,000 people, the Bible says, made decisions for Jesus on that day. Not because Paul I mean, not because Peter had spent the last three years going to a school in public speaking. Now, is that important? If God's calling you to do that, it absolutely is. But if that's the only thing you got, there's never going to be any fruit that's of a biblical proportion like what we saw in the New Testament. Peter was moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was unlearned. He had not been to school. He was what you would consider a blue-collar worker of his day. He was even from a region where other people said it was a famous saying, could anything good ever come out of Galilee? And he was a Galilean. But on that day, there was a power that was stirring inside of him that caused people from all over the world to say, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Maranatha is the creed of the City Life Church. And because it is our creed, it is our mandate to take that message to the world in which we live. It's why reaching is one of our 12 pathways with everybody that's within arm's length as God would lead us and empower us. May it be that we would find moments to say to them, Jesus has come and he's coming again. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to do a couple of songs. Now, now, now why am I focused? Why, why did I spend all this time about creeds, right? Because I think it's important to, to gain some, 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 some history, some knowledge there, because it helps us appreciate this idea of the connection between belief and action, right? So I spent all that time to set this moment up. Because I want you to believe in this word Maranatha and what it means. You see, because if you don't believe that, then you're going to fall prey to these whispers that the enemy is going to start talking to you as soon as you walk out of this church tonight. He's already whispered some of these things in your ear already. He's said to you, you're not an evangelist. That's not your calling. God's got something else for you to do. All of us are called to evangelism. 
Whether it's our primary orientation to life or not, which we're going to talk about in this series. We're going to spend some time in 1 Corinthians 12. What's all, all that about? We're going to talk about Romans 12. All of those, this idea of giftings and, and callings, right? That, that even though it might not be my, 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 my primary, my, my central gift, I'm still expected to move in it as the Holy Spirit would in it. All of us are called to be evangelists, right? If you believe in the creed of Maranatha, you cannot help but be an evangelist. If you believe in that word, if you believe what it means, you cannot help but tell people about Jesus. People are going to find Jesus whether I tell them or not, right? Some of you have said that to yourself. I've said it to myself. Walking out of the store when I knew God wanted me to share something with the person at the cashier and I didn't for whatever reason because I was either too busy or because I was self-conscious about what the person would think behind me. I have all those same struggles that you have. And you know what? As I'm driving away, I just say to myself, they're gonna, if God really wants that person to find out about Jesus. And that's true. That's true. But what you lose out on is you miss out on the, the privilege of being part of the story. We miss out. God said, I could use somebody else, but I wanted to use you today. I wanted to use you. God would never use someone like me. Some of you, you've said that over your life because of shame, because you look into your past and you say, God, God, God could never, he could never use me. Maybe you say to yourself, I don't, I don't know enough. I just, what if they ask me a question I don't understand? You, you tracking with me? And that list could just keep going, couldn't it? It could just keep going. If we don't believe the right things, we're not going to live the right way. If you believe in Maranatha, if you believe in this creed, if you believe that you have a birthright and there is a blessing that's going to be given to you so that you can fulfill the call that God has on your life to talk to people that he's going to position you to talk about this idea that Jesus has come and he's coming again. You might be able to say yes to all of those things, but where you're going to start saying is I don't care about those things because I want to tell the world about Jesus. My hope is that this summer, myself included, that we're going to have more conversations with people about Jesus over these next three months than maybe we've ever had in a lifetime. Not because we got smarter, not because we got better, not because God changed our history, but because there was a stirring of the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me of biblical proportion that enabled me to share something with a person in such a way that it was as though God himself was there because guess what? He is. He's ever present. So this is what we're going to do with the time that we've got left, these two songs that we're going to sing. There's going to be people that are in each of these back corners, and, and, and uh, they're going to have a little olive oil, not the coconut oil that we joked about earlier, right? They're going to have a little olive oil because the Bible talks about this idea of the, the oil being a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So I did something I've never done before. I, I anointed before the service everybody who's serving tonight nursery workers, kid life, musicians. I was the roving anointer walking around with my little vial of oil, just anointing everybody, just because we wanted to all have a sense tonight. You know, musicians are gifted because they have practiced a lot and, and, and worked hard, but then there's, it's something else when they take that skill and then the Holy Spirit takes it farther. Our workshop in there, right? They prepared, they studied for those lessons. They, they come ready, but something happens in those little kids' lives when those workers just begin to go beyond their preparation and begin to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
we, when Jamie and I and whoever else is teaching, right, we spend hours, we spend days, we spend weeks putting all this stuff together. But at the end of the day, we know if the Holy Spirit isn't working and moving, then it's just information that's passing from one human brain to the next. But we want something to pass from one spirit to the next. And so there's going to be people in those back corners. If you've got something specific to pray about, you can go to one of those people. But the other thing I want to do is I'm just, as we sing these two songs, we're just going to open up these areas at the altar. And Jamie's going to be on one side and I'm going to be on the other. And we're not there to pray for you, but we're just, we're going to anoint you with oil, right? If you're here tonight and you would say, like, I'm, I'm anointing myself tonight. I don't even know, but maybe I'll have Jamie do it, right? Because I'm saying there's sometimes I fail in, in being an evangelist. There's times in my life where, where, where I know that I'm not moving in my Maranatha calling, right? Because I know I'm relying on my own strength and that can't happen. Because it's not by might and not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. That's what his word tells us. I want to move this summer in the power of the Holy Spirit. For those of you that are living on the South Side, they're going to be part of the South Side campus. Those of you who live over here, are going to be a part of the South Side campus. I'm believing that God's going to open all kinds of doors for you to talk to people. Talk to people who don't have a church or don't know anything about Jesus to begin to engage in conversations. You're going to feel something inside of you that's like a motivation and a compelling like you've never felt before that, 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 that doesn't make you anxious but gives you an incredible sense of calm. It's the most remarkable feeling of the world, of the Spirit of God stirring in you. Can we just all say, I want to move in that. I want to move in that this summer. So as we sing, you can just come, find yourself at the altar. And I'm just going to say, I know you with all as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. That's just your way of saying, I want the Holy Spirit to be at work in my life as we sing, you come.